We are so glad that you joined us today. We know that God wants to do something great in you and through you, and we want to hear about it. So if you can take a moment and share with us your story in the City Chapel app in Amen Corner. Thanks again for joining us today. We hope you enjoyed today's message. Romans uh, chapter 8, uh, verses 35 and 37. I'm going to do a little bit of, of teaching today and preaching. So um, uh, uh, teaching is like preaching but without the spit. Uh, that's kind of that's kind of how that how that is. But no, no, teaching is, is some, sometimes you got to learn something. Sometimes you have to something a new thought has to has to come into your head. You have to learn uh, something before you can actually yearn for something. So preaching is to get you to yearn for something. Teaching is to is to help you learn something. And so I want to try to I want to try to do a little bit of both. And uh, you're not of course the graphics aren't quite going to make sense. I'm not going to tell you what our sermon series is called until the very end of the sermon today. Uh, because then if you're mad at me, you can, you can leave and go be mad at me at home, uh, not here while I'm preaching. So you'll, you'll like me the whole time I'm preaching. Romans, <laughs> that's my goal. Romans 8, 35 to 37 says, uh, Paul says, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? Those are all uh, various things. Verse 36 says, as it is written, he's quoting Psalms 44 here, for your sake we are killed all day long. We are counted as sheep um, for the slaughter. Yet in all of these things, we are more than conquerors. <laughs> Through in all, yet in all of these things, in the middle of all of these things, we are more than conquerors. That word more than conquer, that's actually one word in the original language. We're going to be looking at that over the next several weeks. We are more than conquerors through him who loved us. It's interesting to me, this passage, how it starts off with Paul is asking a question. And his question is who? Who shall separate us from the love of God? Now, it's kind of interesting because he goes on to state not a bunch of who's, uh, but a bunch of what's. So he says, who, see that, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Um, and then he goes on to list some possible things. Shall tribulation, well, tribulation is not a who. Uh, you, I don't know that you've ever met Mr. Tribulation. Uh, <laughs> trouble is another word for him. Maybe you have met him. Uh, but, uh, <laughs> or distress, or persecution, that's not a who. Famine, that's not a a who, nakedness, or in other words, you're so poor, you're so broke, can't even afford clothes. That's that, once again, not a who, or peril, that's danger, or sword. None of these correspond to the question. He, he's answering the question. He's, he's attempting to bring us to a place of answering that question, yet, yet none of these options meet with the question, the question of who. Who shall separate us from the love of God? And he goes on to list a bunch of things. And I believe what, what Paul is trying to teach us here and what the Holy Spirit is trying to teach us is that behind these things, there is someone. Behind something, behind every something in your life is someone. Uh, and I believe that it is the enemy of our soul that, that comes against us with these things. His name is the devil. His name is Beelzebub. His name is Satan. 
Uh, I was sharing this in prayer uh, this week. We've been having 21 days of prayer, and so I've been reading this passage, and I was just sharing it, and um, um, I thought I sort of, you know, I said, I said, there's always someone behind the something. It's never just a thing. There's always someone behind it. And um, so at the end of the prayer meeting, somebody had mentioned, uh, I don't know, something where they were kind of wondering who that person could possibly be. <laughs> and I said, no, it's not somebody in the room. It's not somebody in the church. It's not, you know, somebody on Facebook. It's not somebody in your job. There is someone behind the something, but it's not a person of flesh and blood. Scripture says we wrestle not against flesh and blood. There is someone behind the something, but that someone is your true enemy. People are not your enemy. People are not your enemy. You're, you don't have any enemies that are people because, because the enemy of your soul is not a person that's sitting next to you at church or a person that you work with. Oftentimes, we become angry at the thing. We become angry at the something that's in front of us. But the source of that problem, the, the source of the attack on our soul is not a person. People aren't out to get you. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, I, I know they told you to drive like they were, but they're not out to get you. You know, I have to, you know, it, it, they, they, pe people are not your problems. But other people on this planet are not out to get you. In fact, they're barely even aware of you. They are thinking primarily about themselves and how you are out to get them. So if we could just cut with the whole who's out to get me question, the, the real person who's out to destroy you, to seek and destroy you, the Bible tells us, is the devil. And we don't glorify the devil. We don't believe that everything is the devil. But we do believe that there is someone who shall separate us from the love of God. There is someone behind these, these kinds of things, behind the trouble in our life, behind the distress in our life, behind the, the persecution in our life. Uh, behind the distractions, behind the temptation, behind, behind everything that would try to destroy us, there is someone, and it's not your mother-in-law, it's the devil. And, and, and it's good to be reminded of that every once in a while because I think sometimes we can become so, so earthly-minded that we're no heavenly good. We're, we become so A plus B equals C-minded that we, that we believe that we can sort of work everything out just on natural terms. And yet, if you, if, if you deny the presence of a, of, a, of a supernatural force that's working against you, you'll never really understand who your real enemy is. And I think it's good for you to understand there is some Someone behind the something. There is someone there. there. There is someone who's trying to destroy you, someone who's trying to pull you away from Christ, and it is the devil. And his main goal, as you can see here, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? The main goal of the enemy in your life is not to make you poor and miserable. The main goal of the enemy is not even to kill you. The devil is not out to kill you. Now, he uses death. He uses these things. He uses tribulation, trouble, uh, distress. That's, that's stress on the inside. He uses persecution against you, famine. That's, that's a lack of things. Nakedness, that's a greater lack of things. Peril, the sword. He uses these things, but that's not his, that's not his goal. That's not what he's after. He's after separation. He wants to separate you from the love of God. It is that separation that is his goal. That's how he wins. 
He's, he, 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 Paul makes it very clear that the who, the enemy, what he's trying to really do is separate us from the love of Christ. Now, he's not saying that he's trying to get Christ to stop loving us because that's impossible. So the enemy doesn't go up to heaven and try to get God to stop loving people because he knows that's futile. That doesn't work. He cannot uh, shut off the power source of heaven. So, so we have these, these, these fancy little Edison bulbs here that, we've, that we use today in worship. And yet, and yet when, when this thing is not plugged in anywhere, it's, it's completely dead. I mean, it doesn't do any good. And this is like many of us in our life when we are not connected to the love of God, to the love of Christ. And the love of Christ is like electricity. It's flowing through this building. It's in these walls. It's in these, these ceilings. I mean, there's, there's power everywhere, but you have, to, you have to connect to it. You have to have an access point. And so, and so we come to God, we come to Christ, and we find a little outlet right here, conveniently placed on the stage, and we plug in. And when we plug into the love of God, when we, when we connect to the love of God, suddenly our dark life starts to light up. And 1 John 1, chapter, uh, chapter 1, verse 7 says that when we walk in the light, if we walk in the light, in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. So whenever we plug into the love of God, we begin loving others. We begin treating others well. We begin, we, be, we begin to see others not as the enemy. Others are not against us. Because we are walking in the light, we have the love of God in our hearts. One of the main reasons why we, why we do not have fellowship with one another, as, as 1 John says, why we don't have connection, why we don't have uh, 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 friendship, and why we don't have true friends, why we have you know, Facebook friends and Fairweather friends, one of the reasons is because we are not currently in the light ourselves. We don't have anything inside of us that is giving love, that is pouring out love to others. And so we, we, we cannot have fellowship with one another. I was talking, talking to Madden yesterday because she's, she's our eight and a half year old and she is, she's learning what it is to walk in the light. She's learning what it is to walk in the light as Jesus is in the light. And then when you do that, you have fellowship with your six-year-old brother. You know what I'm saying? And some parents are like, no, that's impossible. No, it's not impossible. The Bible was written to eight-year-olds as much as 37-year-olds. There's no age restriction placed on the Bible. There's no, hey, this, if you're under 18, this doesn't apply to you. In fact, the early disciples were all under 18 when they were following Jesus. All 12 of them were under 18 years old. So the Bible applies to my eight-and-a-half-year-old. The Bible applies to me. And so, and so yesterday, she kind of had some issues with her brother, and so we got a chance to talk about that. We got a chance to talk about what was going on. Well, really what was going on is Micah got to play with some of our friends while she was sleeping, and Micah didn't wake her up for that. And then later on in the day, he was playing with them, and Micah didn't tell her that he was playing with them, and she was left alone in the house. And, and so it just kind of started building this Micah's leaving me out feeling. And I know none of you ever struggle with that. I know that's just the eight-and-a-half-year-old thing. Um, but... Uh, <laughs> 
but I'm friends with you on Facebook, so I know that's not true. I know that you're putting out little stuff. Somebody compliment me, please. Just compliment me. And, and you know, but that's what we do. When we don't, when we don't have a light inside of ourselves, we're looking for other people. Right, we're, we're, we're unplugging from God and we're plugging into other people, asking them to give us some love that will light up our life. The problem is they don't have what you need. So we try plugging into people. We try plugging into money. We try plugging into status. We try plugging into fame. We try plugging into recognition. We try plugging into good, good, good works, right? Service. I'll volunteer here. I'll volunteer there because I feel better. Well, that's good. You feel better for a moment. We try plugging into addictions and you feel better for a moment, but there's no love in it. There's no power in it. And so we, we were stumbling around in the darkness. We are not illuminating the light of God. And that's, and, 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 and that's what I began to talk to her about. I, I said, honey, look, your brother got to do something that you think is good, right? He got to play with your friends. Yes, that's good. Um, but you are really mad about that. Why? Because I didn't get to. I said, okay, so, so why are you not happy that your brother got to do something that's good? If you loved your brother, like really, if you love somebody, you'll be happy when they're happy. So jealousy, threw that word in there, jealousy happens when you're not happy when other people are happy. And specifically, you're not happy because they're happy. <laughs> and so, and je- jealousy, it, 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 it will eat you alive. What happens, and so we talked about Joseph and how Joseph was, uh, in the Bible, Joseph was given a coat of many colors. His dad liked him better than all his brothers, which is messed up. You know what I'm saying? You got 12 sons and you tell them that you like this one better. So guys, um, yeah, this is my favorite right here. And I'm going to make a coat. I'm going to make a jacket. Let him wear it. So he's got a special dad's favorite badge everywhere. He goes, that is messed up. Uh, Joseph's dad was not, I mean, he was not a good parent. And, uh, and so I'm telling Madden this. I said, babe, like, that's so unfair. That's so unfair. And she's like, yes, it is so unfair. And, and his brothers thought, this is so unfair. And his brothers allowed the unfairness of the situation to develop in them a jealousy. And it's not very long before you, you're jealous and then you have hatred in your heart. And now the person is the source of all your problems. Now the person is conspiring against you. Now the person is your enemy. And you're, you're, you're stumbling around in the dark. You don't have any light. Because you look to a person, and now that person is getting all the stuff that you think you deserve, and life's not fair. The truth is, life is not fair, sometimes to our advantage and sometimes to our disadvantage. But the great problem, whenever we are jealous toward others, we don't have fellowship with each other, like it says in 1 John, because because we become jealous of each other. And when we become jealous, we become jealous because we are not remembering how unfair life has been for us and how much God has forgiven us. And so Jesus Christ, who is perfect, who never sinned even once, he goes and dies on a cross for you and for me. The most unfair moment in all of human history as the righteous suffers for the unrighteous, as the holy suffers for the unholy, and even the people that were killing him, Jesus is forgiving them. The whole thing is unfair. And whenever we say that we are absolute believers in fairness, we are forgetting the fact that we need the cross, that we need life to be unfair. 
that if life were fair, we would have no hope of eternal life. That if life were, if the scales were truly brought out and our life was put next to, if our good deeds were put next to our bad deeds, we would always lose. And so we need somebody to suffer on our behalf for our salvation, for our cleansing. And when we demand what we call fairness, we are really denying our need for the cross. We're not plugged in to the love of God. We haven't received the love of God. And so it causes darkness within us and it causes jealousy and contention between other people. But this is the enemy's plan. The enemy is not after your marriage. He's not after your marriage. What he is after is this, this, this connection right here. And so he will use arguments in your marriage to do this. He will use the divorce. He's not after divorce. Divorce is not his game plan. He doesn't care if you stay married or not, but he will use the divorce to do this. If he can, if he can, pull, if he can pull the plug of your connection with the love of God, it doesn't matter what it is. Sometimes I think it's not even really even about the sin that he's tempting us with. It's not about the fact, oh, if I can get them to do this, then all of the world will come crashing down. No, no. If they can start developing this, this anti-God behavior, then I can remove their connection to the love of God. This is his purpose. This is his plan. This is why he, he hurls sickness at you. This is why he hurls de- de- depression at you. This is why he hurls distractions at you and temptation. He's not after the thing. He's after your connection. He wants to separate you. He wants to unplug you from the love of God. And breakthrough, breakthrough happens, uh, like, like it says here, that in all of these things, in the midst of everything the enemy can throw at us, Breakthrough happens when we remain connected and plugged in to the love of God through all of these things, not away from all of these things. There's a passage uh, in the Old Testament, the book of Job, where Job um, goes through a whole lot. You've probably heard about Job. Job chapter 1 gives us a description of the man named Job. And uh, in verse 1, it says, there was a man in the land of uh, Uz, whose name was Job, and that man was blameless and upright, and one who feared God and and shunned evil. He had seven sons, three daughters were born to him also. Also, his possessions were 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, 500 female donkeys in a very large household. And so, if you know anything about the story of Job, about, I don't know, seven verses later, uh, there's, there's, there's this conversation. So the Bible sets you up, tells you about Job, and then it shifts to a conversation that the, that the devil, that your enemy, the, the devil has with God, where the devil seeks permission to mess with Job, to bring sickness on his body, to bring death into his family, right? All of his children die, his seven sons and his three daughters They all die because a house falls on them. The wind blows over the house and crushes them. Um, All of of his sheep, um, his camels, his oxen, and his donkeys in separate occasions die on the same day or they're stolen by raiders all on the same day. And a lot of his large household, his property is taken. And literally within like seven or eight verses of the Bible, you have this guy who is, who is obviously prospering. He's got a whole bunch of sheep, just a whole bunch of animals and a large property. 
And seven verses later, he's sitting in dust and ashes, cursing the day he was born. Which is why I told Ro, we do not need to get a lot of animals. We do not need a large property, because look what happens. Like, you see what, okay, maybe, maybe I'm off a little bit theologically on that. But that's, you know, that's my point. I'm sticking to it. If you have that many sheep, camels, donkeys, oxen, and that much land, you're about seven verses away from sitting in the dust, cursing the day you were born. You know what I'm saying? And so, the, but it's because the devil has come against him, and God has allowed it. God has allowed the enemy to come in and start tugging on the connection point with Job. And Job is, is sitting just in the midst of despair. His wife even, she, she's still living, um, but she tells him, you know, you ought to just curse God and die. I think it's chapter 19. He says, my breath is offensive to my wife. I thought that was interesting. Um, <laughs> He, he meant his breathing, but, you know, if you're married, you, but anyway. So, so the one relationship left in his life is not exactly a good one. Um, headed for divorce, definitely. She wants him dead. Uh, and he's sitting, like, in the dust. It says that he's clo- he clothed himself in sackcloth, which is the itchy stuff that you, that you potato sacks, you know. And so he's, he's, he's super uncomfortable. He's got, he's got boils all over his body. And he's sitting in the middle of a mess. And, 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 and sometimes I think that that picture is actually pretty symbolic of us. Because, because God will allow, and this is what I'm going to get into next week. But God will allow the enemy to try his best on us. He's trying to separate us. This is, this is the point. He's, this is, it's the connection point. Job, the, the enemy doesn't care about Job's family, about his house. He certainly doesn't care about the sheep. Me and the devil have that in common. He doesn't care about the animals. He just, he's just after Job's faith. And that's what all of life comes down to. It comes down to this faith point. This can, can you stay connected to the love of God? Can you still believe in the, not just, not just what Job thinks, what Job believes. And that's different. Because you might think, yeah, you are good, good, oh. You might think that God is good. But the question of life is when you're in the middle of that mess and all, I mean, Job had like, what, five different reporters come to him and say, I was in the house or I was near the house and all your kids died. I'm the only one that survived. Um, I saw your sheep get stolen and I'm the only one that survived. Blah, blah. All your servants were killed and I'm the only, I mean, bad news had to had to stand in line. It was like the DMV at Job's house for bad news. I mean, I don't know if anybody's ever been in that situation where your phone's blowing up from this person and from that person and from that person, and it's coming from every side, and you're sitting in the middle of the mess, and the the temptation is this right here. The temptation is that your connection, your belief system in God's goodness would go away. You might still say God is good. You might still think God is good. The question is not what do you think and what do you tell yourself. The question is what do you believe? Belief has to do with value. Belief has to do with value. I believe this to be true. Belief has to do with value. And God will allow these hardships into our life. And so really over the next few weeks, I'm going to be presenting to you a God that you probably haven't thought much of, but he's very real. 
If you've lived very long, you, you understand that not only will God allow hardships, but sometimes I almost think that in some ways God sends hardship into our life. And I know, I know nobody in here has this problem, but um, uh, I was reading uh, a, a book a, a while back about, about um, billionaires and um, I definitely don't have the problem of being a billionaire. Um, that's something I've never had to suffer through. But, um, but one thing that billionaires are most afraid of is how, are, how they're going to raise their children. Uh, especially guys like Bill Gates, right? The second richest guy in the world worth $85 billion. Um, he got to that point, uh, you know, in a garage tinkering with stuff, ripping stuff off of the Apple guy. And... and uh, <laughs> Anyway, uh, you know, he, 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 had to, he had to kind of crawl, claw his way to the top. And, and in these interviews, time and time again, these billionaires are concerned about how they can raise their kids. Because you and I really haven't, I mean, I don't think anyone here, in here has really had this issue, but there have been several times that I've been walking through Walmart. See, billionaires don't even go to Walmart. Um, I've, been, <laughs> I've been walking through Walmart with my kids, and, and my kids want to buy something. And, and I can literally honestly tell them, honey, we can't afford that. Right? Has anybody ever been able to tell their kids that? That's, that's, that's like the ultimate out, you know? Because they can understand, you know, we have X amount in the bank. Um, if we spend more than that, we won't be able to afford our house, which means we'll be on the street. And so, you know, because it's just it's a simple math, resources, this requires that, we don't have it, therefore we're not able to do that. But if you're a billionaire and your 16-year-old, 17-year-old son says, Dad, I'd like my, a third Ferrari, you can't look at him and say, we can't afford that. I mean, it's $75,000, just... You're worth $85 billion. That's fine. You could, you could buy your 17-year-old a new Ferrari every Friday, like for the rest of his life, build new garages to store his 35 Ferraris, and then, you know, and just keep on building. Like, at the, at, you have no uh, ability to tell your kid, dude, I can't afford it. So you have, what, so what do you tell them? You have to tell them something else. The conversation changes from a simple resource problem of, yeah, uh, I don't have it, to a value conversation. I do have it, but I don't think it's good for you. Because I think everybody here would, 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 would agree that it's not good for a 17-year-old kid to get a new Ferrari every Friday. I mean, is that something we can all sort of say? He's going to be spoiled. You know, he's going to crash one, wreck another, wreck another. You know, he's just, he's just, it's going to kill him. He's going to get... He's not going to be able to understand boundaries and limits and things. And so he won't understand the law. And when the law says don't drive that fast, he won't know what, what that means. And he'll just, it's not good. You, like, he, he needs some discipline. He needs some boundaries in his life. And the billionaire knows that because he knows that the way he got to be a billionaire is he had boundaries in his life. He had struggles. He had hardships. He had things that he had to overcome. And that's what made him who he was today. But when you are worth $85 billion, and your 16-year-old son wants a new Ferrari, what do you tell him? You have to communicate value. And value is a harder thing to communicate than resources. And so a lot of us live in a resource mindset. If I, if I had it, I would, but I don't, so I can't. But God, by the way, is a lot richer than Bill Gates. <laughs> He's got a lot more than $85 billion in his bank account. He, he, he's way more richer 
And we're always asking him for things that even money can't buy, which he has an abundance of that as well. I need more hope. I need more peace. I need more joy. I need more tranquility. I need more confidence. I mean, things that money can't buy. He's, 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 he's rich on several levels. Yet, if he really wants to train us and equip us, if he really wants to make us who he's called us to be, he knows that we, we need difficulty, that there is a degree of desirable difficulty. Now, there is a degree of difficulty that is crippling. You can crush somebody with too much difficulty, and, and God knows that, but at the same time, we actually need some of these things. Job is in the middle of this, and he doesn't see the need for it. Oftentimes, we don't see the need for it whenever bad news is lining up for us. And so we even, we even use uh, 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 fake scriptures like, this too shall pass, which the Bible that's not a scripture, just FYI. <laughs> it might be in the message, I don't know, but it's not an actual, like if you Google it, like it's not in, it's not in the Bible. This too shall pass. Uh, it's just not in, it's not a scripture. Because not everything comes to pass. What if, and this is just, just hypothetical, what if there's a degree of difficulty God wants you to learn to live with? But I thought if he brought me to it, he'd bring me through it. I saw that on a bumper sticker one time. It sounded pretty cool. Yeah, no, that's not necessarily. No, because, no, because for, like, God, it's not the, the, the light at the end of the tunnel. It's, it's not always about God bringing you through the difficulty. What if there's a degree of difficulty that God wants you to be able to live with? Paul experienced this, this very same thing in 2 Corinthians, and he had what he called a thorn in the flesh. Scholars still don't know exactly what that means, but it was, it was a, a trial, a difficulty of some kind. And Paul prayed three different times in verse 8 of chapter 12. He says, that I prayed three different times. I begged the Lord. This is the New Living Translation. I begged the Lord to take it away from me. And each time God answered him, he answered his prayer each time. Yay, Lord answers prayer. Each time he said, I'm not going to take it away because my grace is all you need. In fact, Paul, my power works best in weakness. <laughs> Sometimes God's waiting for us to be sitting in the middle of a mess in order to reveal his power to create miracles. He wants us sometimes in a place of weakness because that's where the, the, the connection to Christ works best. Did you notice that almost all the outlets are down low? <laughs> Is it just me? Or are all the outlets in the house about 16 inches from from, from the foundation. I don't know. Or you could probably tell me. Is it 15, 16, something like that? About 16. In, oh, man, I'm good. About 16 inches. All the outlets are down low because there are some connections with God. You're not going to get way up here on the mountain. God waits for us to get low. God waits for us to sink down into a place where we finally see where we can connect with him. Because the clutter of the heights of your great experiences sometimes clouds the ability to stay connected to God. And so Jesus tells Paul, my grace is all you need. I'm going to enable you to live in the situation 
So many times, if we were honest, much of our prayers are, God, change my situation. God, change my circumstance. God, change my condition. I mean, really, if God answered all of our prayers all at once, our lives on the outside, the things would look very different. But I wonder how different this thing on the inside would be. I wonder how, how different we would be. God is not concerned about what we think. God is not, not as concerned about what we think or what we own or what we wear as much as he is what we believe and who we are. He says, my grace is sufficient for you to be who I've called you to be in the middle of this difficulty. In fact, Paul, my grace works better when your strength gets lower. (laughs) So he says, yeah, it's not an accident that you have this thorn in the flesh. That didn't just happen. There's something behind. He says, my grace is all you need. My power works best in weakness. And Paul says, so because God told me this three times, it finally sunk in. And he says, now I am glad to boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ can work through me. So that I can stay connected to the power source. That's why I take pleasure in my weakness and in the insults and in the hardship and in the persecutions and in the troubles that I suffer for Christ. Because when I'm weak, then I am strong strong the very things that cause that throw us into depression were the very things that paul says i have figured out this stuff is good for me when dad says no you can't have a third ferrari i figured out that this stuff is good for me but i really want it so bad i just want it so no but 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 god is working all things together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purposes all things so in the soup of your life there's some good stuff and there's some bad stuff there's some sweet stuff and there's some salty (laughs) come on somebody there's some salty stuff you know what i mean like there's some good stuff and bad stuff but they're all working together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose because because the, the the key is that you stay connected the key is that you stay plugged into the love of christ and that's what job says in Job 19, verse 25, Job finally comes to this place after 19 chapters of being berated and bemoaning and crying and whining. He finally says that I know that my Redeemer lives. I know that my Redeemer, that's an interesting title for the guy who's got you down in the dirt. My Redeemer, my putbacker. Redeem means to put back to an original purpose. I know that my, I know that my restorer, I know that my put backer, I know that the one who will put me back, uh, I know that he lives and that he will stand at last on the earth. And after my skin is destroyed, this I know that in my flesh, I will see God. In my flesh, after my skin is destroyed, After my skin is destroyed, in my flesh I will see God. Because the flesh, the flesh, the body that we have is working against us. And sometimes God is hacking away at that thing, what the Bible calls the flesh. That thing, that part of you that is driven by natural lust, that is driven uh, by appetites, by the flesh appetites. Sometimes God is hacking away at that thing and he is trying to destroy that thing. He's trying to get rid of that thing before that thing destroys you. He's coming against that thing that would ultimately kill you and destroy you. He's coming against it. And, and, and Job says that in my flesh, I will see him. He will come to me. He will redeem me. And I, 
I believe that. And then we see in Scripture where God does that. He restores Job, restores uh, his family, um, restores all of his kids. Um, uh, I, I, I heard one pastor say one time that, that God gave him back double, which he did. Uh, Job had 14, uh, well, 14 sons after that. Had uh, I forget the math on the animals. But you kind of read the math, and it's like double. Um, and I said, well, and so, so I heard a preacher say, God, God will give you double for everything. And so I, I was just kind of being smart, and I went up to him after the service, and I said, well, technically, it wasn't double because God didn't give him another wife. <laughs> you can take that however you like, but he kept, he kept the, same, <laughs> the same one. <laughs> I don't know if she fell in love with his breath again or how that worked, but... Uh, <laughs> But things, things seem to seem to get better. What is God doing? God is preparing you and me. He's preparing us for what He has prepared for us. He's getting us ready. If we're going to talk about breakthrough, we're going to have to talk about a constant connection with the love of God, because you're not going to break through without it. You're going to have to understand that the enemy's goal is to disconnect us from the love of God, disconnect you, get you to doubt the love of God. And yet, and yet it is possible that in all these things, that God doesn't have to change the things in order for you to stay connected to his love. Yeah, but, yeah, but if she would just call me back, then I, would, then I would be able to... No, 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 no. The thing is not the issue. The connection with God's love, which you can have a connection with God's love in all of these bad things. In the middle of sorrow, in the middle of loss, in the middle of personal tragedy, in the middle of failure, in the middle of failure. You can fail. You can fall flat on your face. You can go left when you should have went right. You can say no when you should have said yeah. I mean, you can fail. And even in the middle, in, the, in all of these things, even in the middle of failure, you can reconnect to the love of God. You can, you can reconnect. The, the past failure doesn't have to define you. It doesn't have to cut you off. If it cuts you off, then the enemy is one. But as long as you can keep reconnecting in all of these things, as long as you can keep focusing on the love of God and his goodness towards you and for you and his plans for you and his love for you in the middle, don't let the things cloud and block you from a view of God. In the middle of all these things, in the middle. And, and, and even as a church, we are, we, are, we are going to two services in some things. Not, you don't wait for everything to get perfect and then say, all right, now we're going to do two services. It's going to be awesome. No, in all of these things, in a lack of volunteers, in all of these things, in a lack of finances, in all of these things, we are going to stay obedient to God. I was talking, I was talking to one uh, pastor friend of mine. He started his church like right around the same time that we started ours. And uh, we, we just kind of meet up about once a month. And um, he had changed locations. He was in a he was in an elementary school, <laughs> and uh, he changed to a much nicer school. I think it's a, a junior. I don't know. It is a school down the road. Um, it's brand new. And he said, and he said, yeah, you know, we were always having to sweep out the cockroaches every Sunday. And and uh, I said, yeah. 
times. <laughs> He's like, well, you know, yeah, my, our, our, our people just, they're, 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 you know, they just don't want to see cockroaches. I said, well, that's why you bring raid and a broom. Like, you know what I'm saying? Because in all of these things, in the cockroaches, in all of these things, we can still be more than a conqueror through him who loved us. Because our victory is not meant to be over all of these things. The victory is not over calamity. The victory is not over famine. The victory is not over nakedness or sword or peril or danger. The victory is not over the thing. The victory is over the one who is using the thing to try to defeat us. So we're not trying to overcome poverty. We are trying to overcome in the midst of poverty. We're not trying to overcome uh, uh, persecution. We're trying to overcome in the middle of persecution, in spite of persecution, that these things can keep coming at us, that these things can keep coming at you and at me, but that does not affect your ability to overcome. Even if the thing stays, even if God sees fit to leave the thing in your life until you die, you can still be more than a conqueror in the middle of these things because God wants to strengthen us. And you don't get strength without struggle. You don't get strength without struggle. You don't build muscle without resistance. That's what I've heard anyway. You don't, you don't build. There's got to be some resist. There's got to be some tearing down, some breaking down of current muscle in order to build future muscle. And so, so the best thing that if God wants to strengthen us is to allow some weight to rest down on us, these things to fall on us. And yet in all of these things, I believe, that God is still working his plan. I believe God is still working a miracle in the middle of my mess. I still believe that God is doing something, strengthening me. We always pray, God, strengthen. Lord, Lord, we just need your strength. Don't be surprised when he drops some weights on your dumbbar. You know what I'm saying? When you ask for strength, don't be surprised if he adds weight. Weight will build the strength that you need. And this brings us to our key passage in Matthew chapter uh, 16, verse 18. Jesus is talking to Peter, and he says, Now I say that you are Peter, which means rock. Uh, it's Petros is the, is the Greek word. And upon this rock, I will build my church. Now, he's not talking about on Peter. He's talking about on, 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 on a Petra, on a rock. Upon this rock, I will build my church, and all the powers of hell will not conquer it. And so the sermon title for the next few weeks um, is basically this idea that, that, that God, Jesus, wants to make. He, hell is going to come against you. Notice, he says, all the powers of hell will not conquer it. But Jesus wants to make us tougher than hell. You know what I'm saying? That's what he's wanting to do. Oh, and we got anime music to go with it. All right. <laughs> lovely, lovely. Thank you, thank you. Thank you for that attack on Titan. Um, but that's what, that's what God wants to do. Hell is going to come against us. Hell is going to come against this connection. But God wants to strengthen us to a point that we are tougher than hell. And over the next four weeks, I'm going to be talking about ways in which hell is weakest. Those are the ways in which God is wanting to strengthen us. The weaknesses of hell kind of tell us some of the strengths that God wants to add into our life. 
Would you bow your head with me for just a moment? And I would just ask, maybe some of you have lost that connection with Christ. Maybe you never have had a connection. Maybe you've never plugged in. You've been just hoping you could dodge the powers of hell in this life. Ducking. But Jesus says, no, it's coming. It's coming for you. You're going you're gonna to meet it. The question is, are you ready for it? Do you have any love in your life? Do you have the love of Christ in your life? Do you have a source beyond people, beyond status, beyond money? Do you have something that is feeding you, that is giving you light? And maybe you're here today and you, you don't. You say, I, I did one time maybe, but I certainly don't now. And maybe I never, I never found anything. I never put my faith in Jesus. So if you'd like to put your faith in Jesus today and pray with me, would you raise your hand and say, that's me. And this next season, I need to plug in. I need to plug in. That's awesome. Yeah. Okay. Anyone else? Okay. Awesome. Yeah. That's awesome. Let's take this moment right now just to do.